Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I'm the host, and in today's episode, I interview Jay Ellis, the strength and conditioning coach of the Melbourne United Basketball. Prior to Melbourne, he was the high-performance manager of the Casey Demons in the VFL. He's also been rehabilitation assistant at Melbourne Football Club, interned at Collingwood Football Club, and worked with the AFL Victoria in the Vic Metro and Western Jets programs. Let's get into today's episode. Thanks for joining us, Jay. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, good, good to see you again, mate. You too, mate, and we'll dive straight in. Take us back to the strength conditioning. Um, oh, God, it's probably showing my age a little bit. Um, but probably when I figured out I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor. So that sort of goes back to uh, my later school years. Um, but I took a pretty traditional path these days, a lot of strength conditioning coaches. I went through sports science or exercise science human movement at Victoria University. Uh, initially, I wasn't quite sure where it was going to lead me. I was actually looking at bridging into physio and looked at a few different options. But um, probably at the end of my first year after my placement in a physio clinic, I realized physio wasn't for me. So I looked at uh, alternate options and uh, strength conditioning was sort of uh, becoming quite apparent that that's something I had real interest in. So I was sort of rehabilitating my own injuries through football. And uh, yeah, it's probably that's probably back around 2007, 2008 sort of time-wise. But realistically, my second year of university is when I sort of really knew that strength conditioning was it as opposed to physiotherapy or uh, something more research-based. Yeah, and for those developing S&D that might be thinking the same way, uh, how did you go about doing it? supervisors, other colleagues, and take a sunset back at that stage when you're thinking about which way to pivot? Yeah, I think for me it was sort of ruling out what I didn't want to do primarily. Uh, the sports science degree is quite broad. Um, at the time, I didn't really like how broad it was, but in hindsight I think that was quite good because I let my sort of passion uh, evolve quite organically. It wasn't really sort of forced down a particular path, which for me was great because it gave me a bit more time to make those decisions. Uh, I did have some really early on discussions with a guy named Rog Augie, who was at the Western Bulldogs. I'm not sure if he's still there or not, but he was quite heavily entrenched in Victoria University. And we were going to look at potentially doing a research paper, like an honours PhD type thing with GPS. Uh, we had some discussions about it, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So uh, from there, it was actually the careers and development program that I met the uh, regional manager of the Western Jets, Shane Sexton. And he basically gave me an internship. In, it was high performance, but realistically, it was basically just strength and conditioning in the TC Cup level at that point. It was quite new. Uh, it wasn't all that well funded at that point. And it was just very generic, like run warm-ups, fill water bottles, run some stretching sessions, just very general preparation. And I love the TC Cup and my love for strength and conditioning as uh, a profession really took off around about then, about the age of 21. I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, I loved work with developing athletes. It wasn't necessarily about working with professionals for me back then. And I've said a number of times, if if that was a full-time job and uh, I could have made it a living through the TC Cup, I would have loved to have spent more time there. But obviously, as, as the system is, you sort of need to continue to evolve and grow and uh, make it a living. And for that reason, that's where I look to sort of move on after about seven years there. That's awesome. So the, the power of networks out the door with yep. Western Jets. Were you the first sort of guy that with someone leaving? Uh, I worked in conjunction with a guy named Owen McIntyre, who's now a teacher, I think. But Owen was great. Um, and just after my first year there, I was still quite young in the scheme of things. I think I was 20 or 21. So I was very fortunate that Matthew Pell, uh, who I know you know, is a great friend of mine. 
Uh, he came on board at the Western Jets then, having just finished an internship at North Melbourne, and he was a bit older than I am. And he was the first real high performance manager in that role that I had worked with, and I had a really steep learning curve. Uh, I, I call him Pally, but um, yeah, Matt's an incredibly intelligent guy, um, and him and Jamie Hepner were pivotal in pushing my career forward at that stage, going from Western Jets into Vic Metro, which ultimately led into my internship at Collingwood, and that was sort of my first real foray into the professional ranks of sport at that point. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, they, so was it something that you were doing? You noticed it, like, how did that connect to Collingwood? Did they have an affiliation at the time? or was uh, No, they, they didn't. So that's where um, I'm very fortunate. Um, and I better give him a shout-out because last time I ran a podcast, I didn't. So uh, Jamie, <laughs> uh, you can tag Jamie Hepner in this. I'm not sure if you know Jamie, but he's a star. He works over at Catapult now in Chicago. Uh, he was a fantastic mentor, as was Pally, and... Uh, basically, they just threw me threw me to it, and you know, threw me to the wolves and said, "Listen, we know you can coach, so get out there and do it." And uh, it was really through those opportunities of uh, just basically just showing up, doing the work, showing up, and really taking pride in it. I think was a big thing. Uh, I still take pride in having worked the Western Jets. Now, uh, I'm really really enjoyed my time there. It's a great uh, great foundation for my career at that particular place and point in time. But Jamie then sort of pushed me into a role at Vic Metro, which he he put me forward for, and I was successful with that, with the under-16s Vic Metro. Uh, I did that for four years, and then at the same time, Jamie teed up the internship at Collingwood off the back of that because they were looking for an intern back then. And uh, I was there for a couple of years. I worked with a few different people. Blake McLean, who's now over at uh, Oklahoma City Thunder in the NBA. Uh, I worked with Marty Gervin. Uh, I'm sure you know Marty as well. Uh, fantastic strength coach. Um, learned a lot in a short period of time. Uh, Bill Davin was the high performance manager as well as uh, Chris Seville was the physio Paul Morasco was the strength coach as well so I went to two different guys there and spent two years there and then ultimately um, there was no spot for me after a couple of years there was no paid role coming up and I couldn't really intern again for a third year so Jamie Hepner uh, basically called me one day and said look would you come to America and I was like oh yeah I'd like to go to America and do college football mm. um, that conversation took place and I think within a week he said I've got a spot for you but you have to be ready to to jump at it and I took a phone call I think July 4 or 5 and then by July 16 I was in North Carolina uh, working in college football wow. and it happened all within 10 or 11 days and uh, again that was probably the next second point in my career once I stepped away from football for a little bit. Yeah huge so at that time a fair bit of work um, for a low pay like you mentioned for some Jets and then Collingwood for two. Yeah. Um, how was that before we go into the football phase? For those listening that are interested, haven't got any experience or have just started, um, obviously that would test your persistence. How did you fund that? How did you sort of survive while putting those hours? Because I'd imagine you'd be doing a fair a week yeah. as well as your point of view. Would, um, you'd be putting all in, you know, into it to help set up your beer. Um, so yeah, for those, for those listening, C's or wannabe S and C's, uh, take a straight time. Yeah, sure. Look, um, and the reality is there there is nutrition rate. I'm sure there's some fantastic strength coaches and sports scientists that have been lost to the profession because of the uh, the grind and the attrition rate that does come with continually fronting up and doing internships and the antisocial hours uh, and not with any promise of it delivering. Uh, but for me, by that point in time, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I funded it with a day job in sportswear sales for a company called Sherwood Sportswear. Um, and they didn't really know at the time, but I took that role as a sales manager because it was about a two-kilometer drive to Western Jets training. So I took I took an office job that I knew that I could punch out of at five o'clock. Um, I had a two-kilometer trip in Altona, and I, I live in Aspendale, so to Altona was about an hour and fifteen drive every day. 
Um, but I was like, I'll drive out in the morning. I'll do my nine to five, finish at five, go across the Western Jets and do sort of five thirty till about eight eight thirty at night. Uh, drive home, get home at nine thirty, and do it all again the next day. So that initially funded my first couple of years at the Western Jets. I had a full time job as a sales manager. Um, again, it was a necessary step at that point in my career that uh, it funded my career development. That's why I look at it. Uh, it was really an, an investment, and I think most things people can look at it like it's a sacrifice or it's an investment. But for me, everything I've ever done has been an investment because uh, ultimately I think it's a philosophical thing that with a sacrifice, there's no net return but or there's a, a loss. But with an investment, there's always a positive return. So yeah, that's, how, that's how I looked at it at the time and uh, it worked quite well. Then after a couple of years of that, I started to pay off a bit of my hex debt. Uh, I had some more opportunities coming up with Collingwood and obviously Collingwood trained during the day. So the office job was sort of come to the point in time where I had to sort of forego the money to pursue the opportunity at Collingwood and that's what it came down to. So I quit my sales job um, basically because I wanted to have the opportunity to work during the day, uh, albeit for free. And at that mm. point in time, actually, again, I didn't give Matt a shout out last podcast. You'll, you'll bust with balls if I don't this time. But Christian Woodford, uh, I actually bumped yep. into one day. We had a chat and uh, he took a chance on me as quite a young coach and allowed me to develop my skills in the private sector coaching. Um, so I started joining with him and basically what I did was I did the normal sort of PT strength conditioning grind where uh, I did sessions at 6, 7, 8 in the morning, drove into Collingwood in turn during the day, drove home at 2 or 3 in the afternoon, um, either went to the Western Jets at night or did some PT sessions after work. And um, at that point in time, the the flexibility and the uh, development that Christian provided me was uh, pivotal in allowing me to like continue my career as a strength coach in the, in the uh, professional sector. Because ultimately, for a long time in my life, the private sector subsidized my uh, professional pursuit. So I definitely owe Christian for that. Yeah, fantastic. Um, there'd be a couple of uh, so the sales manager experience. Do you think um, the skill sets that you developed as sales, a salesman helped in hindsight? Like, were yeah, there elements of absolutely. transfer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have to, I had to learn to communicate with people. That's not something that university teaches. Uh, I'm yeah. not naturally an overly extroverted guy. And for those who haven't met, I'm 5'10 and about 75 kilos ring of wet. So uh, to learn to communicate and uh, really generally get along with uh, athletes, uh, I had to learn to communicate in a way that would say, hey, like I've got the confidence and the skill set and demonstrate that through uh, being able to apply what I could do physically. So being able to train was big for me and actually demonstrate exercise was really big. But uh, as well as to develop my confidence dealing with lots of different people, I think the reality is to pursue professional sport in particular and even in the private sector, you're always selling. Um, in the private sector, you're selling yourself to clients or you're selling yourself to uh, potential clients or, the, or their parents perhaps. Um, but in the professional sector, you're actually selling yourself to stakeholders. You know, you're telling CEOs, hey, um, this is what I'm worth or you're saying to GMs, um, this is the, philosoph the philosophies that I bring to the program. This is what I can actually contribute and you need to actually market and sell yourself. So I think a lot of those skills are from the time you become a strength coach, you become a de facto salesman largely because you need to learn to demonstrate your skill set, uh, but also show what you can bring to the club that's unique to someone else. And that's at, at the heart of sales. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so the, you mentioned that the importance of connecting Woodford and, and um, working on your craft and the coaching set. So yeah, how did you, how did you manage yourself from a workload point of view with those early starts? And these uh, yeah, a great question. I actually really didn't. That's probably where I let my quality of life slip for quite a while. And I didn't realize it at the time. I was in a bit of a vortex where uh, I just thought that was normal. But I was taking sessions at five in the morning and I was taking sessions at nine at night and uh, working all day in between. And I really had no idea that there was any 
any different way of doing it. So um, I don't necessarily think that was something that I would advocate, but or something that I had to learn the lesson of what what actually got me to the breaking point where um, going across to NC State in uh, college football was a bit of a circuit breaker. So it meant that I was in yeah. one place all day, um, as opposed to driving around to two or three different job sites and. Um, it's probably the first time I had to basically wake up in the morning and be somewhere and stay there till the job was done. So um, for me, that was great. And again, yeah. excuse me, uh, Christian was a great support of that because um, he knew that ultimately my pursuits were not going to be with his business long term. Um, but we complemented each other really well, um, albeit we're very, very different people. For those who know Christian, those who know me, um, we are not the same person. We're not even close. We're not even the same type of coach. We're very, very different. But um, at that point in time, what I contributed to his business and what I got out of it in return from him were, were great. And it allowed me to go across to NC State and say, hey, if I'm going to make it as a professional coach, I need to be able to wake up at 5 o'clock, be at the gym at 5.30, court to 6. Uh, one, and you're actually running one, two, three, four weight sessions back to back and then uh, writing programs and they come and lift after practice. They're doing a study hall. Sometimes they're doing two a day. Like the college system is really a different beast. And um, I came home from that exhausted but also the sense of like hey this is what i want to do uh so i need to find a way to find a way to make it work and uh, i worked with a guy named tim rabis over at north carolina state and you won't find him on any social media he's a bit of a bit of an enigma um but again jamie hepner set me up with tim and um outside uh matthew powell and jamie and uh christian who have touched on and nick popovich i'm sure we'll talk about later uh tim was one of the greatest influences on my career um genuinely good friend of mine and uh, I learned a hell of a lot in a short period of time. It was a baptism of fire going over there. Yeah, awesome. So for those uh, in American football uh, in the College Sisters podcast, so take us through what was the interview process like? Um, what was it like you know, being on the plane going over over there? And, and then how did you find the, the environment itself? You touched on what, yeah. how different was it to the Australian uh, Chalk and cheese. Uh, it could not have been more different, which is what I needed. I needed something different. I needed a circuit breaker, although I hate that term. Haven't been in lockdown for twelve months yet. It's probably not the best one, but um, yeah, I, I needed. Back. Yeah. yeah, I needed some variety, and I needed a bit yeah. of a change. Uh, I needed a change of scenery. I had a few things going on in my life then that uh, I needed to just take a bit of a break from. And, uh, yeah, so the interview. Going back to your first part, the interview process. Uh, Jamie called me. Jamie sent me a text one day. I was actually at Vic Metro. Having, I think we just played the first game of Nationals, and uh, he said, "Hey, would you consider coming to America?" To he was over there at that point. He goes, "Would you consider coming to America to do a college football seasonal assistant role, which is basically like an internship? It's sort of halfway between a, a coach's role and then an internship. Uh, it's a bit more structured and a bit more than an internship. But it's not a coach's role that you don't get paid. It's just you don't have any expenses. So you get food hall passes. You get." Uh, travel paid for. Um, I lived with Tim, who you know put me up for accommodation. So there's lots of benefits from that point of view. It wasn't like a traditional American internship, um, but yeah, he called me and goes, "Would you come over?" I said, "Yeah, no problem." Like that sounds great. It's something I've always thought about doing. Like the lure of American college and particularly college football, being a fan of it, I was like, "Yeah, um, that sounds great. It's something I'd love to do one day." And he goes, "Well, you don't really have one day. Um, I've got something organised for you. You know, I've, I've just got all this catapult." Uh, GPS down at NC State. They'd love someone to come and teach him how to use it a bit better. Uh, I know that's a skill of yours, which he and I developed. He was a great mentor for me in that regard. And uh, I think two days later, I was on the phone to Tim. And I think 11 days later um, or 12 days later, I flew across to North Carolina. I'd never never even met Tim. And um, it happened quite quickly. It was a bit of a whirlwind. I think in that 12 days I had, uh, we went to the Gold Coast, find a 16 Vic Metro Nationals for footy. Um, so I was up there for a week. So I had about two or three days either side of that to 
pack my bags and go. And uh, I rocked up on Tim's doorstep, and he wasn't even wasn't even there. Actually, I had to get let in with the spare key. Um, never met the guy, but I just had to take a chance that that was going to work out. And uh, yeah, Aussie guy rocked up in this little house in North Carolina, and uh, that's that's where it went from. And what was the first day like? How were you introduced? Uh, just thrown into it. Uh, I actually got I got pumped up a little bit, probably un- unnecessarily so. Um, I know the caliber of guests you've had on this podcast, and I'm probably the most underwhelming of all of those. You've had some great speakers on here, but they sort of sold me as this Aussie guy who's great at sports science and he's going to come across here into ABCD. And I thought, wow, like, uh, it's a great yeah, selling point. Well. Thank you. But um, yeah, so they're actually in max out weeks. They were in, they were at the end of summer workouts. So for those who are not familiar with summer workouts, it's basically the culmination of the whole summer training block that they go in and max out their lifts. So I think cool. the second day I was there, they maxed out their cleans. Then they maxed out the squats the day after. Then they maxed out their bench press. They did some sprint testing amongst that, and that whole week was testing. And the first week was basically load the bar up, strip the bar, uh, warm athletes up, uh, give them some coaching cues. But I did a lot of filming to film some workouts for – so to film their lifts for feedback purposes. Yeah. And then it was straight into fall camp. And fall camp is basically like the equivalent of an AFL preseason, but uh, you train twice a day. They do – practice session in the morning and then weights, then go back and do practice session at night or they do uh, weights, practice, then weights. And they, they flip it around, all sorts of stuff. So uh, I think that was something like they, they can't do it anymore because the college, NCAA college football changed the rules about how many workouts the students are allowed to do. But I think we did 37 sessions in 24 days, something like that, something crazy. So um, very, very different system to the AFL. Um, big explosive lifts, lots of cleans, lots of snatches. Uh, lots of speed work, really well drilled, very military-like in a lot of ways, um, yep. which haven't come out of the AFL, which is generally, uh, in my experience, is pretty unstructured, not quite run the same sort of demeanor. Um, yeah. Really high-energy weight rooms. Uh, as I said, everything's done to a T. Everyone knows where they need to be when the whistle blows and they, they know what they need to do. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, welcome to the show. Here we are. Like, let's uh, let's do it. And how would they? How would those sessions be like? Is it um, you know, max out? Yeah, sort of their speed days and then heavy days or what were the typical? Uh, well, in the fall camp, they had to pull it back a little bit because they just come off that max out week at the end of summer training. So once they, once they hit fall camp, it's obviously about producing on the field for their for their football sessions. So um, they still lifted heavy. They lifted really close to their max, but obviously reduced the volume quite a lot. Uh, the speed stuff basically became either part of their warm-up for their, uh, for their scrimmages or they did individual speed sessions indoors at the football facility. Um, in terms of how they mix, in terms of how they uh, structured their week, it'd basically be they try and do the speed on the uh, low volume field days. So on the short days in the practice field, they do a lot more speed work. Um, on their high volume days on the field, they do a lot of strength work because they just said, listen, your body has to be robust. And they take a bit of a different approach to what my experience in Australian football has been. Uh, they treat the human body in a much more robust and resilient way where they push it. They push it right, right to limits and uh, not necessarily that it's always, always works because there is an attrition rate and, there are a lot of guys that break down. Um, mm. And in some ways, it's a bit of a survival of the fittest mentality where if you get through summer workouts, you get through fall camp, then you're fit to play. And if you break down, bad luck. Um, mm. My role was sort of going across there and saying, okay, that's that's good in theory, but let's actually apply some science to that to have some undulation in their training program. So not every day is more practice periods, more practice periods, more weights, more sessions. It was sort of how can we structure that to uh, optimize the results at the end of fall camp. And that's what Jamie Hepner is doing right now over with a lot of NFL teams and uh, he guided me through that process as well. He was phenomenal. Sorry, Jack, I've just lost you there. Sorry, Matt, I've got you back there. I'm not quite sure where I lost you. That's better now? Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how did the players go about where? 
Um, sorry, I'm not, did you catch most of that previous answer? I think I lost just for a little bit there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was it was just me lagging. My Wi-Fi just kicked yeah, off. That's right, mate. No worries. Yeah. Uh, look, they actually wore it in the shoulder pads. So um, they didn't necessarily love it. They disagreed with a lot of the data that came back. Um, but right. it, it's something new to them. It's not something that they've grown up with. Like, you know, they don't really – like, they're sort of more uh, customary now, but they haven't always had access to GPS and uh, tracking technology over in America. That's something that's really an illustrated initiative, um, especially on the world scale. So Catapult starting as an Australian brand of AIS. Um, look, it was my job to go and put it through 80 sets of shoulder pads. So, you know, if you can imagine now we've got like little vests, like little sort of silicon of um, Lycra vests, we put them in for AFL guys and rugby guys. Um, yep. That takes about 10 seconds per vest to do. Uh, shoulder, I'm not sure if anyone's ever seen NFL shoulder pads, but um, a lot tougher to get the GPS tucked in behind that, stuck in, you know, make sure the Velcro sits. And it took about an hour and a half to get the GPSs in the shoulder pads. So, um you know, if we were on the field at, say, 10.30, I'd have to be downstairs at 9 o'clock putting the uh, the GPSs in the shoulder pads because that's quite literally how long it took some days. It was crazy. So why couldn't they use the big glasses? They, you know, um, yeah, basically because they've got too many layers on. So the guys will already wear – they'll wear, like, their um, compression top. Uh, then they'll wear their shoulder pads and then they wear their jersey. So adding a fourth layer to that's not necessarily uh, something that they aspire to do. Um, especially when you're training in the middle of like North Carolina was about you know, 90, 95 Fahrenheit, which is about 30 to 32 degrees every day. Um, those guys are training through that. So adding a fourth layer was just not really an option. Those guys are working pretty hard as it is. So I think it's just better designed to go on the shoulder pads to pick up a lot of the inertial movements, like the tackles and the hits and that sort of stuff they wear, in the, excuse me, that they wear the shoulder pads for. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the game, like you mentioned how the environment and the weights room was fairly different yeah, um, in the way it yeah. was structured but also the intensity in the room um i mean the sports are different but do you think there's any, like were this was there a lot of talent in the squad therefore you could lose a four players or was it just um, like, why do you why do you think uh look i think it's a probably yeah i mean first and foremost there's about 100 110 guys on a on a roster for college football um obviously you've got some seniors you've got some red shirts so it's a bit of a mix um, but culturally, that's just how they've done it. Um, America's always sort of been, you know, if two hours of weights is good, then three hours is better. If four days of weights is good, five days is better. So, but I think there's also, there's a, there's a real good merit to it to sort of say to the guys, hey, like, you know, you've got, uh, you've got to really go out there and work, work every day. You know, it's, it's not going to come to you. And ultimately, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen some of the physiques on the guys coming out of college football and, uh, genetics do play a big part of that, but also the, program that North Carolina State in particular put together, I was, I'm really proud to have been a part of because um, it's not left a chance. Like these guys are eating well, they're meticulous with their diet, they rock up to the weights room, they stretch, they rehab, they recover um, just so they can train as hard as they physically can. So I think the thing with the attrition rate is, yes, the roster spots are big, um, but by and large, it is a game, American football, you can dominate with athleticism. Uh, I think a lot of sports such as, you know, uh, soccer, uh, Australian football, basketball, even to an extent, there's a big, big skill component that probably overrides the athleticism component. But especially for some positions in uh, NFL and American football at the college level, pure, simple athleticism can be the difference between winning and losing a game at that level. So, um, you know, some guys can actually play their entire career and never touch the ball, which is pretty crazy, really. So if your job is to block or your job is to uh, sack the quarterback, you may not touch the ball your entire career, but you have to have the strength and the power to, and the conditioning to actually fulfill your role. And that's where the, the training had to reflect that as well. We'll be right back after this short break to explain our most popular coaching program. 
I want to introduce you to Prepare Like a Pro Individualized. You'll train like a true professional with an intelligently designed program. We ensure everything is covered to optimally prepare yourself for game day. This premium package is for those that want a personal coach in their corner. The individualization starts with an in-depth questionnaire to really understand your goals and where you need support. Your coach will then tally your program to suit around your school, work and sporting schedule. We will derive a Get Better plan, the GBP, which will be a step-by-step -step progression to help you achieve your dreams of elite performance. The GPP program takes a holistic approach. We focus on individualized running and gym work to help make you the strongest and fastest version of you, as well as a comprehensive lifestyle coaching around nutrition, sleep, and stress management. We use objective measures such as GPS, your technique footage, and gym loads to provide you with progress reports. You'll be learning from our presentations, taking food diaries, tracking your sleep, and learning how to nail your recovery. Our multifaceted approach aims to build you into the best athlete you can be, allowing you to change direction quicker, jump higher, run faster, and repeat high intensity efforts for longer. Overall, you'll become more focused on the field and resilient to injury. Ultimately, if you want to prepare like a pro, this is the package for you. Head to our Inquire Now page and we will contact you today. And then how did you, as a coach in that environment, see go about it when you came back to Australia? How, what was your approach? Did you go about things different? Did you pick up some methods? Take us I, I did. I did. And in, in hindsight, um, my approach probably wasn't the right one. I came back with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and thought I had, uh, had it all figured out by that point. I sort of thought, like, you know, I've been around AFL clubs. I've worked in American football. I've done this. I've done that. Um, and I sort of thought I had all the answers at the age of about 27, which was really dangerous. So I was at a point in my career where I, I thought I was good. Um, I had the confidence that I could do my job and I probably tried to implement a little bit, little bit too much of what really didn't work in Australian football. I came back from America, um, and got a role at the Casey Demons at the Melbourne Football Club. So I worked with some great guys like, uh, Alex Sakajiji and Jimmy McGeoch. Uh, I worked with Dave Misson. I'm sure you know Misso as well. Um, I worked with Daniel Cross. Uh, Matt Warno put me up for the role initially. So, um, there were some really, really smart guys around, uh, even Kane Johns. I know you work with Kane now. Kane's a superstar with what he does too. And um, I sort of came back with these ambitions that everything I learned in America could apply to Australian football. Uh, the reality is there's certain things that definitely could have applied and I could have implemented them a lot better. But uh, Australian football is a very unique sport. And I think the thing for me was at that time trying to figure out which things transferred back, which things needed to stay the same. Um, but also with Australian football, what can we do to break the status quo and what can we change to actually optimize our current training methods, which are pretty common across most AFL clubs. So things like, you know, how do we train speed? What, what, should, what should we do in the weight room? How much conditioning should we do? Um, those sorts of things were what I struggled with trying to find the right balance. Um, I probably pushed too far one way. I didn't actually respect the fact that AFL is quite a unique sport, but I had a fantastic team I worked with that we got some great results down at Casey. So um, you know, we made it to a we, we had a development league grand final win. We made it to a grand final against your mob box hill actually. Um yeah. had a three or four goal lead quite early on, which we blew. So, you know, we had a great team and the guys worked really hard to be in a position to succeed. Um, but ultimately look coming back and trying to run a high performance management role in both VFL and assisting the AFL system uh was just a really big culture change. And to be honest, part of me always missed America. Um I love the environment. I love the athletes. I love the coaching staff. I love the philosophies over there. And um, 
ultimately, uh, I love my time in football circles, but that's where it was sort of time for me to move on and try something different. So uh, that's what actually led me down the basketball path. And that's probably where I am today, that I've got that real mix of, you know, athleticism, power, speed, agility, lots of drills that I learned in America um, that I can attribute to basketball a lot more directly with my skill set now as it sits. Um, but I love the nature of basketball. I love the athleticism involved. And um, oh, look, I'm really fortunate that the staff and the players and the club as a whole at Melbourne United have been phenomenal to work with. And uh, it's been an amazing couple of years there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a great thing to interview someone that's had such a bus across different sports at such a high level. Like it's something that actually does pop up a lot on the podcast and sees the eating industry for 15, 20 years, the importance of of S&Cs coming up at five years, 10 years, or 10 to 20 years experience, but getting exposed to different sports rather than just one that does make you vulnerable. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, and look, on, on that note, um, everything I've achieved so far, I, as I said before, I probably owe it in particular to you know, five guys, which is uh, Nick Popovich, Christian Woodford, Jamie Hepner, Matthew Powell, Tim Rabus. They're probably my greatest five influences on my career to date. And without them, I wouldn't have had the vast collection of experiences that I have had. Um, but I've also got some phenomenal networks such, such as yourself and uh, a friend of mine, Matt Howley, works over in the MLS uh, for Rail Salt Lake and was in Notre Dame and college soccer before that. So um, I think that's given me a pretty broad experience of what I have done. Um, but by the same token, the reality is for me, I'm 31. So um, I'm quite young in this game of things. And uh, whilst I'm flattered to be uh, on the podcast, I'm glad you reached out, mate. I think when I look at the caliber of guests you've had and um, how much there is out there to learn. Like, you know, there's, I'd, I'd much rather listen to some of those guys you've had in the podcast and speak about it because I've still got a lot to learn around how to prepare, not just basketballs, but athleticism in general. Yeah. And was it, was it a, um, was it something you're intentional with when you, when you think back in uni, where you think, did you write a list? Did you write goals, five teams? It's something where a mentor like those five guys came at you and said, Hey, Jay, I know you're doing this. You're doing great things, but I've got this on offer. Are you interested? And then you'll sit with it. Go with your gut feeling. Do you go with, do you look back at that? previous plan like how deliberate and structured and how much was it just into those mentors and and going with what you felt was right at the time uh it's been look definitely a mix of both um but much more the latter where i'll always go with my gut um for me the fulfillment that i get from work um i waited far too heavily where and probably similar to yourself we spend so much time pursuing those roles in professional sport at a young age that you do sacrifice other parts of your life and um, having had the opportunity to work in multiple, multiple professional sports and uh, work across in America, um, I was always like, yep, if they say this is the right thing to do, then that's the right thing to do. And I sort of put my trust in uh, the mentors I had and they certainly did not lead me astray. Everything that I achieved um, and the exposure that I had came from those guys collectively. As I've sort of gotten older, um, I've had some great opportunities to interview for some professional teams. I've had some job uh, offers in professional sport. I've had some job offers and um, now that I'm at the point of my life where, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily established just yet. I've got a lot more work to do in that regard. But uh, for me, it's just about going with your gut and sort of saying, okay, I think intrinsically everyone knows when something's the right fit for them. And it's also one to know, it's also really important to know when the right time to move on is. Um, you know, I, I sort of felt like I was putting a ceiling on myself working at AFL. Uh, born and raised in Melbourne, you sort of do the, the standard sort of thing. You play footy and cricket, go to TC Cup, go to VFL, go to AFL. And with all due respect to people that I learned from those areas, I wanted to get something different. Um, that's where America was really great for me. But then ultimately, I think to further enhance my skill sets as a coach, I had to be around some different people and learn some different sports. And uh, I love basketball. I always have. And uh, I reached out to Nick Popovich, who I know you spoke to last week. And he's a, he's a real dear friend of mine now. He's been great to work with for a couple of years now. And 
Um, I think the opportunity to learn from him, uh, he won't tell you about his credentials, but uh, he holds the Emeritus Award at the NSCA, which, you know, there's only 40 some people that have that award in the world. Uh, I just want to learn from the best and be around them. And uh, that's where my fulfillment comes from. So right now, that's where I really enjoy being with Melbourne United. And uh, for me, it's more than that. It's the whole club. You know, we've got a great, uh, great board, we've got great coaches, great players. And ultimately, the enjoyment I get from going to work every day stems from being around those guys and uh, having a really fulfilling role and, and the trust and support of everyone around me as well. Yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome that you've gone about it that way. And how did you, when you're interviewing for a role, uh, it sounds like a couple of these you've been sort of put forward, which definitely helps. But has there been a position where, you, like maybe this one, where you've hit up Nick and really want to work under you, can I get a role? Is there any opportunity? Um, how do you prove to a club or a GM or if you haven't worked in that sport, yeah. For, for a season listing, potentially interviewing for a role, but they might not have experience. Um, yeah. How do you go about being confident that you're the guy? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And uh, I think ultimately, uh, and I, I do it now when I'm in a position to do so, but you just need people to take a chance on you. And um, I think for people to take a chance on you, uh, which, as I said, everyone I mentioned before, they certainly took a chance on me. I'm sure you're the same. People taking a chance on you at some point. Uh, they can smell bullshit. So you just have to be authentic. You have to be yourself. There's no point trying to portray something you're not. Um, for example, I'm not a, I'm not an overly, uh, authoritarian, aggressive, you know, big presence in the, in the weight room. That's not how I communicate. Uh, so my strengths are my theoretical knowledge, uh, my application of scientific principles and my ability to integrate them into a high, high performance program. Uh, how to collaborate all those things. That's my strength. So. I know that. I've always played to that and there's no point in me trying to be someone I'm not. So I think for the young coaches out there and even the young sports scientists out there, it is competitive. Uh, you'll get knocked back and I've been knocked back, but I've also been very successful with some roles. Some I've taken up, some I've uh, declined. But uh, I think to everyone, who's whether they've offered me the role or not, I've, I've taken something from the experience and learned from it. And as I said before, the number one thing for me is just be relentless and keep pursuing. If, if it's what you want to do, you'll find a way to make it work. I genuinely believe that. Um, but equally as much, just be authentic and be yourself because there's no point, as we spoke before, Christian Woodford, for those who know Christian, uh, there's no point in me trying to be him. There's no point in me trying to be Nick Popovich. There's no point in me trying to be Matthew Pell, Jamie Hepner, Jack McLean. Um, you just have to forge your own identity and just be really uh, truthful with that approach. Yeah, love that philosophy, mate. An important one for... For anyone to listen to, athletes just tuned into the podcast um, because, like you said, there is only one you and um, that's probably another element that you've brought up there that has popped up um, from a performance point of view that if you get bogged down on your weaknesses, they're only going to grow so far. But there's strengths yeah. that are reason you strengths. Sharpening that, that one wood or, or those couple of strengths that you have is just as important as topping up your weaknesses, particularly as an S&C because there's sports right. science, there's rehab, yeah. there's strength. And there's, the, like you said, the art of it with the communication layer. So, it can be quite overwhelming, and we live in a yeah. world with so much yeah. as well. And, and look, Matt, like I'll, I'll be honest with you, I received a really funny text um, from a very good friend of mine who will remain nameless, but just after, after Melbourne United won the championship just recently, um, yeah. I, I had a friend text me and say, congratulations, you're the skinniest strength coach to ever win a championship medal. And I was like, come on, man. Like, I, Yeah, let me have my time in the sun. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big stature guy. So, you know, I think it's just, again, um, part of that as well is – just bring own your craft and uh, if you want to be a strength coach you need to lift you need to condition you need to put yourself through these things if you want to be a sports scientist you need to actually do the same thing you need to go through what your athletes go through so you can understand the processes and and be really relatable as well yeah i love that mate and you've had those different experiences as well like you said the catapult and then at yeah. melbourne and then 
manager liked the working in sports? Was that an approach to hone your craft or is uh, Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Yeah, it was definitely something that I always sort of set my mind to. Um, and it's funny, uh, if I actually reflected back on it, uh, I didn't necessarily write it down, but I always knew what I wanted to achieve. And uh, I've achieved a lot of those things uh, to date. So I sort of reset my goals and um, I don't necessarily, necessarily speak about them all that publicly. I'm a pretty private person usually. I don't really have a I don't have a social media account dedicated to my coaching. Uh, I don't tweet a lot. I don't use LinkedIn a lot. Uh, I certainly don't have a Coach J Facebook page or anything like that. But uh, I know where I want my career to get to and um, I surround myself with people that can help me with that. But also as much as they help me, I need to provide value back to them where I can as well. And I think ultimately, like I said before, just being really authentic and being really genuine is important because your relationships with your athletes and the stakeholders involved in those is, is basically your best reference. And I, and I say that with all, all sincerity because uh, with a recent uh, job process I went through, uh, the coach that interviewed me actually called one of the athletes I work with and uh, wanted to know from the athlete how I was. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. Um, and, yeah, like it's really flattering to hear that feedback from the guys I work with that I make an impact on them. But I need to keep fronting up every day, um, you know, not being complacent. Complacency is a killer. Um, and just keep the passion because as soon as you lose the passion, like the hours are long, they are antisocial, they will take you away from birthdays and those sort of things from time to time. But um, if you're fulfilled by your work, then, you know, you, you can overcome those things. So I think just keeping that passion for you is really important. And for me, my passion comes from uh, being involved with winning teams and really fun environments of really, you know, caring people when everyone's on the same page. I think that's what that's what gets me to work every day. Yeah, I love that, mate. Um, we're getting close to the pointy end now. I know it's been some time and I'm sure that will be challenging at the end of the night to, to go this deep in, but I really appreciate your time. Um, no, what's no been so far at Moon or, or how did you come that challenge? Um, probably one of the biggest challenges, uh, I wouldn't say which club, but I got knocked back for uh, a job at an AFL club uh, that ultimately one of my assistants got. So I was actually uh, a high-performance manager at the time. One of my assistants ended up getting the role, and that was a real challenge mentally for me because I was happy for him, but at the same time I sort of thought, you know, what am I doing to miss out on these roles? So um, I reflected upon myself and ultimately I just think I got the feedback from the interview where I had to have some – I had to know myself better was basically it. Um, so I remember one of those questions I got was what makes you angry and um, I couldn't answer it. It was, a, it was a bit of a curveball question. I was sitting there like, I don't, I don't know what makes me angry. Um, so the challenges I went through from that were like, oh, shit, I, I thought I was ready for that job. Um, I got overlooked for mm. someone a couple years younger than me that I'd actually mentored and um, taught. Uh, so in that regard, I was, I was really happy that I facilitated his career development, but then I had to look at myself and go, okay, why aren't I getting where I want to go? And it came back to just not knowing myself and knowing who I am as a coach. And as I said before, that's why I can pretty sincerely give the advice just to be yourself. Um, because I, I do know what, I do know what makes me angry. Um, and I do know, I do know what makes me happy. My athletes will tell you both those things, but, um, that's been great. And I guess the other big challenge for me was moving overseas, uh, moved over to North Carolina by myself on, you know, 10 days notice and not a lot of money in the bank and basically just had to go, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, then. We'll see what happens, and ultimately it did, and it was a great experience for me. So they're probably the two biggest things that um, have both turned into real uh, positives for my career so far. Yeah, thank you, mate. Thanks for, for being so open and honest and, and sharing that. And, um, that's that is a curveball question. Certainly not something I've been asked before, but it gets, mate, it gets I've had some I've had some crazy ones. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Yeah, uh, yes, I love love that you're sharing that, and no doubt uh, you might think about their answer now. So, <laughs> it, it, look, it was it was just such a simple question because everyone knows what makes them angry, but I didn't really I didn't really have the uh, skills when to articulate it. Interview, 
guy, you're like, well, you don't. But like you said, being authentic would go to, and yeah. um, and then that's great that you, you, you it set you up in in such a strong philosophy. Of yours is is being yourself and, and owning your your strengths from that and knowing yourself. So uh, no, thanks for sharing. We'll go on the flip side now, mate. Um, what are you excited about for Trump? Oh, uh, a lot of things, a lot of things. Uh, another NBL championship would be nice. Um, you know, I, I'm greedy. One's not enough. Uh, I think Pop's got five yeah. now, my mentor. So it'd be nice to look back. Uh, I won't give away his age, but he's got about 20 years on me. So it'd be nice to look back in a few years and uh, stack up those rings. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to uh, what's to come with the year. It's obviously been a pretty troubling year for everyone involved in the fitness sector and uh, everyone's sort of lost jobs and taken pay cuts and gyms have been closed. There's been all sorts of things going on. So for me, some sort of sense of normality will be great. Um, from a career point of view, I want to get cracking with United again. Um, the fulfillment that I got from winning the championship and being involved in a winning team was something that I'll never forget. It was a life-changing experience for me and something that I really do hold dearly. And as I said before, I can't thank uh, Pop enough for you know mentoring me along the journey to be involved in that. So I can't wait till preseason starts. I'm a bit of a bit of a freak in that way. I, I love it. Um, I love the guys coming back into the gym. I love being back on court and I love all the environment that brings with it. And uh, yeah, just getting back in the gyms. I run my own business out of a place called Hoop City. So uh, to the owners of Hoop City, I'm not sure if they listen to this, but they're great supporters of me as well and Melbourne United. So uh, just building up some things at Hoop City and just continue to develop my strengths as a, uh, right now as a strength conditioning coach in basketball. Well, have I lagged again? You did for about 10 seconds, mate, but I got you back. Well, I'll uh, thank you again, mate, for jumping on and really appreciate you telling uh, your experiences all the way through to now. And um, yeah, looking forward to chatting and chat with you uh, hopefully in the future. Yeah, it, it'd be great. And look, as I said before, mate, I, um, I'm not really on social media a whole lot, but um, if anyone has any questions and they want to reach out to you uh, in particular, please feel free to do so. Um, reach out to Jack and uh, get in touch. I'm sure he'll point you in my direction. I'm more than happy to have some email or call me because I've had some great mentors assist me along the way and uh, ultimately I wouldn't be around without them. But um, you can find me uh, down at Hoop City. So if you guys are over in the Chelton area, you want to come down to Hoop City and uh, shoot some hoops to get in the gym, you can find me down there as well. Yeah, yeah. I'll add the website link off and put it in the show notes. No worries. Actually, you know what I'm looking forward to, mate? I'm looking forward to the Boomers playing tomorrow. Hopefully, we can take down the US. That's something else which would be uh, which would be great. Yeah, they're in good form. Being yeah, it would be, be nice if uh, Jock Landau, Chris Goulding, and Daly, all the United boys, if they can go and have 20 or 30 points each, that'd be awesome. Yeah, well, we'll watch and see. Hopefully, fingers crossed, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jay. No worries, mate. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, sure yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or 
through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, my, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker, um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.